the happy hour with Julie and Liz. So Liz, yeah, I'm going to start our 80s uh, uh, flashback with some Chicago-oriented 80s history, if that's okay with you. It is. I'll allow it. You used to live in Chicago. You liked it, even though it was too cold for you. Way too cold. Um, so uh, this week in 1984, the Chicago Bulls made their the most brilliant pick ever in the history of the NBA. They selected Michael Jordan, the third overall pick in the NBA draft, and made uh, history. Did you watch Air yet? Oh, dude, I told you to watch Air. So oh, let's shit. just go on the record. Okay, I'm I sorry. told you to watch Air. I recommended it, but I knew... You would probably watch it anyway, you know, because I just I know you so well. But I did say air is really good. Like, it's definitely worth a watch. I'm sorry. Yes, you did. You did recommend it. And it it is awesome. I, I actually want to watch it again. Um, and this week in 1980, one of the great Chicago movies was uh, released. And that was the Blues Brothers. Oh, yeah. That's a classic. They just don't make movies, good movies like that anymore. No, God, John Belushi. Did you, another good thing to watch is the um, documentary on John Belushi's life. Oh, I didn't see that. I'll I'll look for that. I love John Belushi. Yeah, it it was really good. I mean, what a uh, sad story, obviously, because he struggled with so many demons, but just, uh, you know, comedy genius. Very talented. So uh, moving ahead to the present day, there was, a, I, I'm, I'm afraid to announce to our listener, there was another insurrection yesterday, uh, Thursday, uh, Wednesday, in, in Congress, in case all people missed again. it. All over again, Julie, an insurrection. I know, I'm just, I have like PTSD. <laughs> Do you need an emotional support puppy? Didn't they bring like emotional support animals to the hill after J6? Yes, but it's um, dressed like the um, like Jacob Chansley, the QAnon shaman. <laughs> they were QAnon shaman, um, little horns on their head, make it worse. Show us on the shaman doll where, where the you. Indiana Mima hurt you. Um, so there was another insurrection uh, on the House floor Wednesday evening after Representative uh, Anna Luna's resolution to censure. Uh, the lying dirt bag degenerate Adam Schiff uh, passed um, with a slim margin. And House Democrats, of course, because they are also lying dirt bag degenerates, um, rallied around Adam Schiff, started screaming shame, shame, shame on the House floor as Kevin McCarthy was attempting to read the resolution and announce, after he announced the vote totals. And uh, rallied around Adam Schiff. He had to walk into the center of the group with Nancy Pelosi there, Jamie Raskin. That Who's the weird woman with the purple hair? Uh, There's a couple, but I know who you're talking about. She, I think she's from, she from Texas. There's one, I think one in Texas and one in Florida. She looks like a, she literally looks like a witch. But she's but, an older woman, right? Yes. I can't remember her name, but I know who you're talking about. I'm sure we can, our listeners will figure it out too. Um, oh, bad. She has like a Karen haircut too, and it's purple, right? <laughs> well, part of it is purple. I think there's just a few purple stripes. 
She's like a skunk. It looks like a skunk, except <laughs> instead of a white stripe, it's purple. Yeah, I know. So I know. Um, they they disrupted uh, an official proceeding. They actually obstructed an official proceeding, which I'm told is a felony punishable by 20 years in prison. I'm sure the DOJ is going to round them up post haste. For Where is the FBI's counterterrorism unit? Why didn't they not? Why did they not seize? Seize these obstructors. Like, I'm told no one is above the law, Liz. That's what I'm told. Well, we have another story later in the show we're going to talk about that also calls that into question. It certainly <laughs> it does. Like everybody, oh, certain people are most certainly above the law. Um, so Adam Schiff was censored, um, or which is seriously, let's be honest, it's me. It, it's nothing. This is all basically like a like a webcam strip show, you know, where some gross dude with a beer belly is watching some hot chick do stuff and pretending like she really cares about him. Like it, that's what this is because this means nothing. It's like right. being a letter in your elementary school file, right. That says, you know, Davey was a bad boy today. Like nothing, nothing happens. This isn't, his pay isn't cut. He's not fired. Uh, he's not going to jail. It's it's really just performative. So it's performative for the Republicans because they're like, we censored Adam Schiff, which is really like the least of what should happen to him. And then for the Democrats, they get to go on the House floor and be like, shame, shame. Look at us. We're no justice, no peace. You know, it, it, it's just again, it's it's performance. And I guess this is all the Republicans are reduced to because they really can't do anything else. I mean, this is probably the Democrat, the Republicans flexing all their power right then. That's what it is. It is. It's frustrating. And the irony, of course, is that the center vote was taken after the testimony of special counsel John Durham that I know you watched. And no one in Congress uh, perpetuated the lie about the 2016 election and Russia collusion uh, the collusion alleged between Donald Trump and his campaign and the Kremlin to influence the outcome of that election, which was um, another a legit insurrection. It was at least seditious conspiracy, not the Proud Boys type, but like a real seditious conspiracy. And we can go through some of that. Um, <clears throat> but Liz, I know you watched John Durham's all, all of the hearings. So why don't you explain what went down, the criticism of his investigation? And just basically uh, your thoughts on on his testimony and report. Well, you know, I'm not sure 100 percent what to make of John Durham. because There's really two ways to look at him. I think he came off pretty well yesterday. He really came off as just a straight arrow, you know, and it's important to remember that this investigation was an investigation into the intelligence community and the FBI and the activities of the intelligence agencies into um, how the, the how the, how they behaved, and in particular how they behaved with regard to Donald Trump in the election 2016. Now, a lot of people, it's important to remember, you maybe you hate Donald Trump. That's irrelevant, okay? Because we're not talking about Donald Trump. And this, the Democrats, their process, their method, their line of attack in the hearing was to just say this is about crazy MAGA people who want Donald Trump off the hook. Really. It isn't. It's about how does the FBI operate? What is their accountability? 
what sort of procedures and processes are in place to protect the civil liberties of American citizens. That's really what this is about. So the Democrats, of course, don't want to talk about that because they do not care if the intelligence community and all of the powerful, powerful tools that that they have at their disposal, given to them, of course, with the consent of the people, um, are used against their political opponents. So they're fine with that, right? They don't like the FBI when they were he was looking into Martin when the FBI was looking into Martin Luther King Jr. or other things, but they do they do care when it's used um, if they can use it against their political enemies. So that's the first thing. So you can look at Durham like he's a straight arrow. He just was trying to find out what went wrong, and he was honest in his in his efforts. And it seems like I I kind of definitely got that impression of him. The other part of it is that, and he knew. He knew he was going to be very limited in what he could find all kinds of things and not a damn thing would be done about it. And he didn't have a lot of power. Um, the other side of it is that Durham's a, a stooge and he was picked by Bill, Bill Barr because Barr knew that nothing really was going to happen. Right. That he that Durham would, in fact, protect the institutions. Right. That's kind of a common theme we see where a lot of these efforts that appear to be sincere are just really designed to protect the institutions. They're more of like a controlled opposition. Like we're going to put in a guy, he's going to look like he's doing it, but he knows he's not really going to do it. So everything's safe. And that issue did come up later and then the hearing. So I'll talk about it. So I love before I keep going about the details, Julie, which one of do you think, where are you on Durham? Like, what are your thoughts? I thought he presented himself very well. Um, he definitely, and I'm sure you'll get into this. He has Adam Schiff's number. Yeah. Which was really funny how he calls him out a couple of times. But I will say after watching this Department of Justice and their line prosecutors and, of course, their lead prosecutors like Matthew Graves, um, these are people who have no soul. They're completely indecent. They um, love. They're gratified by inflicting pain on people. I could tell there's a stark difference between those people and John Durham. And at, at one point when I don't know who the representative was, maybe it was Cohen who lambasted Durham saying that his reputation, anyone tied to Donald Trump will lose their reputation um, and et cetera, et cetera. And John Durham basically said, well, I'm not worried about that. I'm only concerned with, you know, the people I respect and his family and, God, basically. And um, so I thought that that was I I liked that, especially in comparison to how I've seen uh, this DOJ people in the DOJ operate. So he seems he seemed like a decent man to me. Um, yeah, I got that, that was just my overall take. Yeah, I saw like I think Darren Beatty was on Twitter and he was just like he's this is he's a stooge. He was never trying to get to the bottom of it. And and I can kind of see that because there are a lot of frustrations with the comprehensiveness of the Durham report. And that is probably because they were limited. And also the fact that COVID started kind of in towards the beginning of that and really hamstrung them from being able to impanel grand juries and um, kind of do some of the procedural things that the government is necessary to do since the government was basically shut down. That kind of made his, that probably drew out his efforts and also made it kind of hard. But um, basically, overall, the 
the Democrats plan was again, like I mentioned before, to just go Trumpy MAGA, MAGA extremists, um, crazy MAGA extremists, um, racism, Cori Bush, of course, she just belched that up because she's, you know, not she's kind of a low IQ person who's kind of like a puppet. Um, and the, the second part, which I thought was really interesting, was that the Democrats kept ceding their time to Adam Schiff. And it's kind of like, do you think Adam Schiff is like helping you? You know, a lot of times that does happen. Every representative gets five minutes to ask questions and they can cede their time to someone else. And that does happen sometimes, especially if someone on the committee is an expert in the topic at hand, like a doctor or if it's are talking about health or something like that. Anyway, so they kept giving their time to Adam Schiff, who is just a clown. It, the guy is a fucking clown and he's totally discredited. But maybe that's just the partisan in me speaking. I don't know. He's basically been completely shown to be a liar, right? Which is kind of what that <clears throat> censor, that censure was yesterday. But they, they ceded their time to um, Adam Schiff. And there was this one exchange. It was probably one of my favorite exchanges. They're really obsessed with this June meeting that Donald Trump, Paul Manafort had with Natalia Veselnaskaya. Um, and the pretense of it was, just to remind you, that she claimed, well, actually, she didn't claim. Uh, Don Jr. got a, mem a message from a friend of his in Russia when they were doing some Miss America or Miss World pageant in Russia, who said, hey, I know someone, they have dirt on Donald Trump or on Hillary Clinton, can we set up a meeting? And um, Don Jr. was like, oh yeah, that sounds great <clears throat> because that's you, that does happen in campaigns. If someone says they you have dirt on their opponent, you do take the call. If you don't know the person, you probably don't send a high level campaign representative, but you do look, you do follow it up. I mean, people pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for opposition research. Some people pay millions of dollars, Julie. Um, but so back to this questioning. So they are obsessed with this meeting because they are trying to get people to believe that this is proof positive that there was collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. Now, just to remind everybody, I read the email. The emails were released by the New York Times. Um, and I read the email that Don Jr. got. And in nowhere in that email did it say that this woman was a representative of the Russian government. They did not say, can you meet with a member of the Russian government? They just said they knew someone. She was a lawyer in Moscow and she had some information about Hillary Clinton. So that happened. So, again, this was the Democrats kept bringing up this meeting and trying to get more information. So Adam Schiff, who fancies himself like a smart person, was grilling Durham on this, which which in a way is kind of outside the scope of what the report was. The report was strictly supposed to be about FBI activities. What was the process? How did this investigation get open? What were the checks and balances? You know, really it was a procedural is what Durham was supposed to do is to see how this whole thing developed. Did the FBI follow leads it should have, blah, blah, blah. So Adam Schiff is asking uh, Durham about this call. And he, of course, keeps um, representing it like, Don Jr. was told that he was going to be meeting with a Russian a spy for Russia who was going to give him some information. And so Adam Schiff says to Durham, so you don't think it's weird? You know, you get this call from someone and you just take it and Durham snapped back. Well, you would know something about that, wouldn't you? Which was 
a reference to when <laughs> a radio show host punked Adam Schiff. They got Adam Schiff on the phone, right? Not a staffer, Adam Schiff on the phone claiming that they had nude, they were Russian and they had nude pictures of Donald Trump. And the call was recorded. So the recording's out there. You can hear Adam Schiff just totally into it, totally buying it. He got totally punked. So Durham, who had, a, like I said, several like good quips in there, kind of gave that back to Schiff. It kind of um, threw him for a bit of a loop. So overall, the Democrats were just focused on this, making Durham look like he was partisan, which John Durham is not partisan. He's a career lawyer for the government. He's worked through many administrations, Obama, Clinton. He's been in the government for a long time. He's not really a partisan, but the Democrats were like, he's a partisan and he's here to help Donald Trump, which is just really, again, his report wasn't about Donald Trump. It was about misbehavior in the FBI. But of course, the redirection is and the buzzwords are like crazy MAGA people, blah, blah, blah. So um, overall, I thought he conducted himself really well. He answered questions. He kind of outlined and we've already seen the report. So we kind of know and there's stuff in there that's classified. So there was a separate classified briefing that we don't know anything about of what was said. But he kind of went through and explained what happened, that there was a process, the FBI has a process in place about when they open up formal investigations, and that process was not followed at all during the opening of the investigation into the Trump campaign or Donald Trump and the 2016 election. And in fact, there were, it was just reckless, but once that investigation was open, it afforded the FBI certain abilities that they wouldn't have had they not made that rash decision to open the account, um, most of it having to do with surveillance, right? And we know about, he mentioned about the FISA warrants, which we already knew that the FISA warrants were all problematic and based on a completely false uh, piece of opposition research paid for by the Hillary Clinton campaign, also laundered so that it didn't look like they were paying for opposition research through their law firm of Perkins Coie. Um, so, and um, go ahead. Liz. One important point of the, the Trump Tower meeting, as they called it from June of 2016, is um, Natalia Veselnitskaya was working with Glenn Simpson yes, at Fusion it. GPS. She was working with him um, to on the, um, um, what is it called? Not, is it the Magnitsky Act? The Majinsky Act, right. Magnitsky, yeah. Magnitsky Magnitsky. Act is Magnitsky. something that, Putin was very interested in getting overturned. Now, the Magnitsky Act is, is is named after a Russian man who was a victim, or not a Russian man, but a man who did business in Russia and was imprisoned. His wealth was stolen by Russian oligarchs, and he was beaten to death. And as a result, the U.S., I believe he may have been, a, he was an American, the U.S. made an act that froze Russian assets and forbid any adoption of Russian children, or no, they, they seized Russian assets for doing that. And then as a result, the Russians cut off adoptions to Russian children from Americans. So Putin wanted that wealth released very badly. And so when you are lobbying for something, when you are someone that has some kind of interest that involves the federal government, you hire lobbyists, you hire public affairs groups like uh, Fusion GPS, which is also where the dossier came from. So 
Glenn Simpson was really involved in both sides of this coin, which make it look like it was, of course, a setup, which it almost certainly was a setup um, to get the, a Russian person walking into Trump Tower. So they could say there's a Russian into Trump, into Trump Tower. Now right. we have to investigate. And so that is why. And so they love to bring that up because they think they misrepresent it. Like Adam Schiff read into um, the intelligence committee record when they were impeaching Donald Trump, a complete fraudulent, embellished, fake transcript of Trump's call with Zelensky, right? Just literally straight up false, not even a word or two, just fantasize the whole thing. So again, along those lines, Adam Schiff keeps saying that the Trump campaign was contacted by a representative of the Russian government. And they were like, sure, we'll come meet with you. That's no problem. When in fact, they didn't know who the fuck they were meeting. He was doing a favor for his friend. And this woman didn't say shit about Hillary Clinton. She came in to start yapping about the Magnitsky Act. And they didn't know what the fuck that was because most people don't. So right. thank you for pointing that that out. That's a great, a great point. So because there was a- they were representing. Um, well, they were. Who is the firm? Not. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'll think of it or look it up. But he they were representing Russians. Right. So yes. here's Fusion yes. GPS. Glenn Simpson representing a Russian oligarch, also working with Christopher Steele, who, by the way, also was repping a Russian oligarch, Oleg Deripaska, which is how this whole thing got started, digging up dirt against Paul Manafort because of the Deripaska connection. So they were actually the ones working working with the Russians. Yeah. Not Donald Trump. They were. Yeah. So it. It's so convoluted that if I wrote a screenplay and pitched it to Hollywood, they would reject it and be like, no, this is too much. We can't. This is wait. This is this is just no one will buy this. So it's so twisted and convoluted. Um, So anyway, a lot of the things Durham confirmed, um, which we saw in the report, most people didn't read the report, including a lot of the representatives on both sides of the aisle because they don't do things like read reports. They're busy dialing for dollars. They don't have time to read reports. But he basically confirmed that Comey was informed and Obama and Joe Biden that part of the Hillary Clinton campaign strategy was to tie Donald Trump to Russia. And that was which Comey did not pass on to other members um, of the FBI, just one of his many derelictions. Um, I'm trying to think of the because the hearing was six hours. So a lot of stuff was said. Um, but I, I want to kind of fast forward to the end of it, uh, which, where it really got interesting with Matt Gates, who's always, you know, he's a bomb thrower. Um, and he, the Republicans treated Durham very cordially. The Democrats were just savage animals and just really rude and insulting. I mean, just really gross. Um, but then Matt Gates came up and took some punches at Durham. And the reason is a really good, good for on a good issue. And I think that's something we all need to keep in mind. One of the most important actors in the Russia collusion hoax is a character named Joseph Mifsud. Um, He is really the one who started the ball rolling on a series of events that brought that started the whole, I guess, fake suspicious activities that gave the FBI the premise to start to open up to open up a case against 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 Trump. 
And Joseph Mifsud is the one who told George Papadopoulos that he heard the Russians have something on Hillary Clinton that they were going to release like September, October, like October surprise. And then George Papadopoulos went and mentioned to a character named Alexander Downer, who, of course, has ties to was a Russian member of parliament, I believe, and also tied to the Australian, excuse me, he's Australian, uh, Australian intelligence community, and mentioned that he had heard this. Uh, Alexander Downer then contacted our FBI and, and said that George, the Trump campaign has information or heard that the Russians have Hillary's emails or no, the Russians have information on Hillary Clinton. They're going to release damaging information on her in an October or September surprise. And so that is the whole premise. Now, the FBI embellished the story a bit and claimed that Alexander Downer had told them that the Russians had Hillary Clinton's emails that the Trump campaign somehow working with because it was George Papadopoulos, who I believe was only a volunteer at the Trump campaign. He wasn't paid. Um, and that this is what got on the FBI's radar that, oh, Trump is working with the Russians and the Russians have Hillary Clinton's emails and they're going to release it, dot, dot, dot. Therefore, Trump is going to release Hillary Clinton's emails for the election. That started it. Now, where is Joseph Mifsud? You'd want to start because they did go Durham and his team went and did interview as many people as they were able to or cooperate to kind of follow the chain of the process of this, how this investigation started. And they can't find Joseph Mifsud. He is missing. Now, Joseph Mifsud uh, is a, an enigma. Now, the FBI and the Democrats would have you believe that Joseph Mifsud is, in fact, a Russian agent. That's extremely unlikely because Joseph Mifsud has worked for many different intelligence uh, groups associated with the West. He worked for a, an institute known as the Link, which is in Rome. That is a place where intelligence assets for the Western countries and Five Eyes countries are trained in different techniques. So he really isn't a Russian asset. He's almost certainly a Western intelligence asset. So then the question is, why did this Western intelligence asset tell something like that to George Papadopoulos? Um, it almost seems like a setup, doesn't it? So Matt Gates went after Durham because Durham just didn't have anything to say about this. And Durham tried to explain himself and say that they couldn't find him. They didn't know where he was, that the Italians didn't know where he was last. I believe he was last seen in Rome. And he kind of that's where the whole thing started. So it just seems weird that Durham did not get to Mifsud or find him. It's kind of hard to believe that they couldn't find him. They need the sedition hunters, Julie, because they would have found him. They do. Maybe I'll tag them on Twitter and say, hey. Hey, can you help can, me out? And send him yeah. a picture of Mifsud. Hey, have you seen this guy? We need a cute hashtag um, nickname for him. <laughs> That'll get it. It'll, it'll go that, on Twitter. But the New York Times story, the account of how that happened, and I think that that was published like December of 2017, that's as the whole dossier was being exposed for the garbage that it was. So the New York Times had to come up with, you know, oh, no, this is the real story of how Crossfire Hurricane, the investigation came to be, was this conversation between George Papadopoulos and um, Alexander Downer, right, who was the Australian and, and diplomat ambassador. Okay. So 
so why didn't so what was Durham's explanation? I saw a little bit of it. They couldn't find him. They just couldn't find it. But didn't they get in contact with his lawyer or was that they did? They said his lawyer said they couldn't find him. And the Democrats made a big deal that Bill Barr went over to um, it to Rome with uh, Durham. And I'm not sure why that would be a big deal. It may not have been normal, but the Italians that this is what Durham is reporting. Durham said the Italians wanted somebody high up, right, to kind of come and show like, you know, you don't send the deputy undersecretary of basket weaving over to a foreign country, you know, and to ask for something. You, you have to kind of show that's like just diplomacy 101. There has to be a level of respect. So and I do buy that because that's true. So they wanted Barr to, you know, they wanted Barr to come with Durham. And Barr was like, yes, this is happening. Yes, please cooperate. And that's what he said. So so when they were over in Rome, they contacted Mifsud's lawyer and Mifsud, they, Durham said the lawyer didn't know where he was. They got two of his phones. We didn't hear a lot about what was on those phones, but they and I don't even know how they got the phones, but we don't know where they didn't know where he was. And that's kind of it. You know what? What I get that's what Durham said. What else could we do? And, you know, Gates was doing Gates. You know, he was like waving his hands and, you know, angry. But I mean, is that true? How do I know? I don't know. Uh. I have no idea where he is either. His friends have said Lee Smith has a great piece on um, Mifsud from, I think, 2018. Really very detailed going on on his history and all the different his story of his life. And, and his friends had said, yeah, he's spooked. He's very spooked because his name got drawn into got drawn into this and he's in hiding. And that may be true. I mean, he's almost certainly a spy. Right. So, he doesn't right. want his cover to be blown or probably would make it not just dangerous for the U.S. to know, but any other cu- country that he's been operating in or whatever sordid missions he's been sent on by the you know Western intelligence. We, we don't know. But he he's in his, is in hiding and I guess he's still in hiding. And they couldn't find him. So that's what that's Durham's. Um, that's what Durham's response was. Some of the uh, another thing that came out was that the Democrats like to point out how Durham didn't get any convictions. Right. He did this investigation into all of this behavior. That was all these hijinks that were going on in during the investigation. And he only got like two brought two people to uh, brought charges against two people. And then one person uh, copped a plea, like basically didn't. Um, go to trial. They just agreed to something. One of them was, I think, Sussman. Yeah, uh, he was acquitted. Of course. And 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 also uh, Kevin Kleinsmith, who forged the email to that was from the CIA and told the FBI that Carter Page was not an asset and they didn't know him, even though the CIA had said, yes, he is one of ours, which should he should be in prison for life for that but he got basically a slap on the wrist he's practicing law now again he's fine everything's right. fine with him no big deal so they kept bringing that up and and i think that's the bigger story behind durham's testimony is that and durham recognizes this this is kind of what makes me think he kind of is a good egg i err more on the side of he is kind of a straight arrow but knows he's grossly limited 
which is that he knows if he brings these people to trial. He repeatedly said this. He's like, you know, I he, he's acting according to the rules, the way that the average American thinks that our intelligence agencies and Department of Justice should operate, where he's saying, well, you know, do I have enough evidence beyond a reasonable doubt? He's not thinking I'm going to weaponize this process and I'm going to inc- impose the most amount of pain on the target of our investigation, regardless of whether it's likely they'll be convicted. He knows he's got a Washington, D.C. jury pool that, again, Sussman was acquitted. That just goes to show. And they had a juror that came out straight out and said that she was doing jury nullification, that she was going to acquit the guy no matter what. So that's just the Washington, D.C. jury pool. So Durham knew he was going to bring this what he found to a Washington, D.C. jury pool, which is completely 95 percent anti-Trump, pro-Democrat. So there's that. Then there's, um, you know, some of the stuff was classified. So you have a whole nother level of problems where you have to introduce class. Can you introduce classified evidence in a trial against this? And then there were a lot of people that didn't cooperate and there was really no consequence. You know, he made the point of saying, well, Am I going to call James Comey in so he could say, I don't remember 267 times like he did when he was in Congress, when he was brought to Congress. So Durham really recognized that he there was not much was ever going to come from it as far as punishment for all of these criminals, all of these criminal people that behaved. Really, you're right when you say that it's um, sedition, you know. An attack on the United States to interfere in an election and change the results of an election. Nothing was really going to happen on that front. Peter Strzok didn't cooperate. Andrew McCabe didn't cooperate. James Comey didn't cooperate. Lisa Page, Bill Priestap, I'm sure uh, the Ors, Nellie and Bill Orr, all these characters, right. uh, Glenn Simpson, they weren't going to cooperate. And there wasn't a damn thing that they could really do about it. So... And or that is what subpoena them and they could compel testimony and have somebody sit there for six hours and just say they don't know, they don't remember. And then what? So, and that, right. And that's what I was tweeting yesterday is that, look, for John Durham, and he knows this, and let's remind everyone that Bill Barr waited until October of 2020 to make him special counsel. He had yeah. tasked him with looking into the origins of Crossfire Hurricane and what happened between. Um, election day and inauguration day, which is really when the malfeasance occurred. And that involved Barack Obama and Joe Biden and uh, the top officials in the Obama White House. But um, he waited until the last minute to appoint him special counsel. And of course, there were COVID delays. But, um, you know, I reposted yesterday and this was from Jim Comey's book. And this is why it the January 6th overhype and the prosecution and the fact that they're continuing to arrest people every single week. I think they've arrested a dozen people since June 1. So they're actually accelerating the pace of that investigation um, into Americans who protested Joe Biden's election. But you had on January 6th of 2017, true seditious conspiracy because you had the meeting in the uh, Oval Office. Joe Biden was there. Um, Jim Clapper was there. James Comey was there. Sally Yates. Sally Yates. Who else was there? I think Dennis McDonough. Uh, Susan staff. Rice. Susan Rice. Yes, right. By the book. By the book. By the book. Um, so they were scheming how they were going to perpetuate the Russia collusion hoax. 
And, um, you know, Josh Ernest was uh, Obama's White House spokesman at the time. He was using his uh, position to also promote it. Let's not forget Lisa Monaco, Lisa Monaco, Obama's um, last Homeland Security Advisor, who is now the number two at the Department of Justice, basically running this DOJ. She was there as well. She made the announcement in December of 2016 that they were going to task the intelligence community with making uh, with coming up with this uh assessment of the Russians interfering in the 2016 election. I mean, this really was a coup. Yeah. You know, this is what Lee Smith calls the permanent coup. This is where it started. And this wasn't a bunch of, you know, this wasn't Jacob Chansley and the Indiana Mimas or some crazy, you know, some crazy MAGA people, um, you know, storming, storming the Capitol. Those people had no power. They have no power. These are the most powerful people in the world who were trying to undermine the legitimacy of Donald Trump's presidency. But what happened on January 6, 2017, is you had Jim Comey and James Clapper, the director of national intelligence, telling Barack Obama that they were going to New York the next day to meet with Donald Trump and tell him not just about the dossier, but the P-tape specifically, that they were going to tell Donald Trump that the Russians had a tape of him with prostitutes in Moscow Ritz, that they were going to use that as blackmail, as what they called compromat blackmail to influence Donald Trump's decisions as president. Barack Obama knew it. And this is coming from Jim Comey's book. And he claims that uh, Barack Obama made like an up and down motion with his eyebrows, like kind of like, oh, that should be fun. Let me know how that goes. So then they go meet with Donald Trump the next day, tell him about this dossier. And Jim Comey specifically tells him about the allegations of this P-tape, which never existed, was completely fabricated by Christopher Steele. And I don't know, was it Danchenko? Some, who, yeah. Whoever made that up. It was Danchenko who said Sergey Millian told him, but then Sergey Millian's like, I've never, I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. It's whatever. Yes, it was Danchenko. And Jim Comey said, well, we're telling you because we believe that this series of memos is going to be released and we want to alert you about it first. Well, of course, that was January 7th. January 10th, what happens? BuzzFeed publishes the entire, quote unquote, dossier. Then CNN reports that very same night, January 10th, 2017, um, I believe it was their Pulitzer Prize winning segment that talks about how intelligence officials have warned Donald Trump about the existence of this dossier from a very well-regarded British, former British intelligence operative, um, and that they warned him about the existence of this and how it could be used against him. So this was all orchestrated, right? But the fact that Barack Obama was involved, Joe Biden was involved, of course, they were also involved in the unmasking of um, information related to American citizens um, that were swept up in uh, intelligence uh, uh, intelligence investigations. Surveillance, yeah. Surveillance, yes, thank you. Um, and so when you really relive that, Liz, it's so outrageous and infuriating, not just that it happened, but that no one has been held accountable. And I think that was some of the fury directed at John Durham. Now, it wasn't his responsibility solely to do it. Let's recall that in 2017 and 2018, Republicans controlled, you know, the House, the Senate and the Department of Justice. 
Yeah. And what did they do with it? They wasted all of that opportunity to um, support special counsel Robert Mueller and his phony investigation into non-existence, non-existent collusion. It's important, I think, for one big takeaway uh, of the Durham report is that the these agencies have power because the people and the elected representatives have agreed to give them power. And when they're talking about using these very powerful tools and all of the power that they have at their own hands, they always guaranteed us at the time, going back to like the Patriot Act and looking at FISA and all that, all that surveillance, they always assure us there are guardrails. This isn't going to happen again. Or no, we have safety things in place um, to make sure that it doesn't get abused. And then we fast forward to see the way that Carter Page's FISA was handled, where you had numerous officials swear that the information in it was true when they knew it literally wasn't true. And there is no consequences for that. You have, again, as I mentioned, somebody forged an email from the CIA. Nothing happened. You keep seeing abuse of this power while we're simultaneously told, oh, no, when, when people raise the flags about about some of this and and say that it's too much or what how how do we prevent it from being abused the same people that are going to abuse it or have abused it assure us oh no it's not going to happen or well, we have safeguards now you know that's what the fbi said well no no we've made changes since all of this happened and it's not going to happen again you you can't trust them the only power that we have to stop this is for the congress to start defunding these agencies and to start in instituting some sort of accountability. And that's really what Durham was saying, is that there has there isn't a simple change to fix this. That was one of his points. You can't just make a couple changes and everything's gonna be Gucci, as the kids say. And the second thing is that there has to be an accountability. There has to be long-term changes. And he knew there wasn't accountability. He knew the accountability wasn't com gonna come in the court system. Right. He knew. And I mean, he even kind of scoffed at the idea that um, Kevin Kleinsmith got like a year slap on the wrist and now he's back practicing law. He didn't get his law license revoked permanently, didn't go to jail. Can you imagine forging a document that was included in a FISA warrant to violate the civil rights of of a, of, of a military veteran who had worked, who had, was a patriot and worked with the CIA? And right. there's no cons and there's literally no nothing. He kind of scoffed at that. He, he, you could tell he thought he was kind of offended that that was that was the deal made. So remember, none of these the the, the the progressives, the Democrats, they have no principles. They don't believe any of the principles that they say. They believe in prison reform and criminal justice reform, but not for J6ers. They believe that my body, my choice, except not for vaccines. They believe we have to be serious about gun crime and gun violence, but not for Hunter Biden. I mean, there is no principle these people believe. So when they say, we're no, we have we have um, backstops in place and we have safety nets and we have processes and safeguards. No, no, they don't. Whatever they want to do, what will happen when they use it against you? That's how you need to look at everything. OK, so okay. <laughs> well, speaking of our corrupt um, Department of Justice, why don't you explain um, Hunter Biden? Boy, he really got the book thrown at him this week and 
now we know that that you know justice is blind liz yeah they really needed to like cross this off like the the list right of just kind of resolve the hunter biden problem which is that the republicans keep bleeding about all of this the corrupt but not just hunter biden right hunter it's hunter but it's the family and it's certainly joe biden and it's kind of a problem because it is keeps rearing its head republicans keep having various hearings uh about the corruption of the biden family the money they've gotten from foreign countries and hunter biden um is kind of the ground zero for that because of his laptop which the fbi had for a year knew it was real and then allowed uh the government to pretend that it was russian disinformation or government 51 different former intelligence officials to come out and lie to people and then of course censor the New York Post. You you all, I'm sure our listeners are smart, you all know how that ended up. So they finally, Hunter Biden finally got um, some misdemeanors for not paying his taxes and uh, two, I don't know, $2 million I guess he owes. And he had like, he hired a really fancy lawyer. I don't know where he got that money to hire that lawyer. I wonder who's paying for it, maybe from his artwork which, was it no, the Chinese or the Russians or the Romanians or the Ukrainian? Could be Ukrainian. Could be any of those. Um, there, we don't know how his how his lawyer is getting paid because he can't afford child support for his child that he had with his stripper lady that is unacknowledged by the Biden family. Um, somehow he is this lawyer. That was the deal they made, and he also has a gun charge. Now, the gun charge is. For a regular person, you would almost certainly get some jail time for this. Uh, first of all, he lied. When you buy a gun, contrary to what the Democrats say, when you buy a gun, you have to fill out a form. It's about four or five pages. It's 4479, I think, the number on it. You got to fill it out. You have to swear. You answer questions. You have to swear they're true. There are questions that are really disqualifying if you answer yes. You can't buy the gun. Have you been dishonorably discharged from the military? Have you been convicted of domestic or under investigation? I think it's convicted of assault, some sort of domestic violence. Um, just various questions like that. And one of them is, you know, are you a drug addict? Are you a drug addict? And Hunter Biden lied on that form. And so that's a crime. Because again, you swear under the penalty of perjury for that everything in there is true. And then they run a background on you, to see if you come up, although they don't have a background if you're a drug addict, but they would if you had a, if you're a felon. If you're a felon, you can't own a gun. Um, fed, you, you would fail the background check. So he just got, I don't even understand what this is, deferred, some deferment where they're like, eh, whatever. We're not gonna it's do a diversion. Diversion. So, yeah. So threw his gun away in a, in a garbage dumpster next to an elementary school, which is, again, where are our Democrat friends who, um, you know, so worried about gun violence? And I know that certain like rappers, I mean, if you're African-American in this, I don't know where the black people are, to be honest. I mean, if you're black and you did this shit, you would immediately be in jail. <laughs> so I don't know where our black friends are, but, uh, you know, this is a really bad double standard. So they sort of tried to cross off the Hunter Biden box on their list of Biden problems for his reelection in 20. 24, I still don't think he's going to stay on the ballot, but they're just trying to get rid of it. So that was kind of a joke. People said it was everybody. Look, did anyone think this guy was going to be treated the way he should have been treated? No, 
I mean, it, is anyone shocked that he got like a slap on the wrist for all this stuff? You shouldn't. And be. he is a chronic ta- tax evader. Yeah. Like this isn't his first time. Like he routinely just decides not to pay taxes. But what's what was really shocking, Liz, is the fact that Hunter Biden made three million plus in 2017 and 2018 as he's like snorting crack up off of carpet somewhere. Cheap, Julie. Not cheap. <laughs> I mean, how do you it's not so much that he evades paying taxes. It's where is your income coming from? And I think he was kicked out of the, was it the Army, the Navy? Where was he? Yeah, he got kicked out of the military. I think uh, that was in 2018. So. No, I think it was early. I think it was earlier than that. I don't know. He got, he was booted. Now, he wasn't dishonorably discharged, but he, he was. He like, failed a drug test. Asked to leave, let's say, or shown the door, if you will. Um, no. Well, he was, he was doing all his, he, he. He was not in the military in 2018 because he was kind of gallivanting around with his dad making deals uh, right. on the back, you know, in China. Remember, he went to China with his dad. He went to Ukraine with his dad and he was making deals. He was his business partner. Um, they were setting up all these weird LLCs that did. No, but I mean, I can't remember who asked this. I'm sorry. It was 2013. Yes, 2013. he was t- I can't remember who asked this question. Maybe it was Tucker, who was like, what is the Biden family business? Like, what when you have a business, you say, what are you doing? Oh, I'm making um, uh, necklaces on Etsy or where do you get your money? Oh, I write pieces for American greatness or I'm a mechanic. What is the business where someone would exchange money, give money to the Biden hunter and in return they would get what? Right. Nobody knows what that is. So he's around gallivanting. He's setting up LLCs with all these fancy names with some other Nepo babies. Um, I think John Kerry's stepkid is one of them. Devin Archer, all these sort of rich, white, crack house shit. You know, you know the type. You all know the type. Nepo babies, literally. Um, Gallivanting around internationally, making deals for I don't know, consulting on whatever. No, no one's clear. I mean, literally, Hunter Biden has no skills. He doesn't have any skills. He's just a lawyer. I don't know if he actually practiced law, like lit actually practiced law. He just is a law. He has a law degree. He has no experience. He was on the board of Burisma, which is an energy company. He has no energy company experience, energy experience. He's not a policy person. He Nothing. Nobody knows how this guy makes his money. Plus, the money that we have slowly found out he's been getting from these foreign countries is tremendous amount. How do you even declare money that's a questionable on your taxes? I mean, that's probably one of the reasons, right? Is well, that was the, I think that that was part of the origin of the investigation. I'm sorry, the investigation started in 2018. Um, is these FARA foreign, um, you know, failing to register as a foreign lobbyist, which he was, I mean, I'm not correcting you, but you know this. He wasn't a board member of Burisma. He was being bribed by Burisma um, to yeah. influence. Yeah, so, I mean... So that was the the that was the how the investigation originated. So he's still off the hook for violating all sorts of federal laws related to foreign lobbying, let alone bribery, which is you have which to, you have to file that form. And as I mentioned in other shows, that's actually not a lot of people have this issue. They just go fill it out retroactively. You just have to say, yeah, I'm working for um, 
you know, I'm working for uh, New Zealand or I'm lobbying for, you know, whatever. Um, But the, the amount of money was so much that he was getting that, you know, there were suspicious activity reports filed with the U.S. Treasury Department. Again, this is kind of independent of a partisanship. It's just they that for from the Patriot Act. And now that so much of our money is digital and, you know, everything is very digitized and easy to track, you know, the the the, the government gets notified when you start getting large, large amounts of money from foreign countries. I mean, that's a flex. And I think they didn't they have over 100 suspicious um, bank transfers or bank banking activity that was flagged. Yeah, by the government or flagged by financial institutions. Something, something, something like that. Plus, he, I, I don't remember how many. I think one of the senators may have said this when they looked at the Treasury reports about how many LLCs. I mean, when you are passing, when you have all these cutouts, that's another red flag. You know, if you're getting paid by an LLC that's owned by another LLC that's part of another LLC, <clears throat> and that LLC is registered in like the British Virgin Islands. Your or Cyprus, your money. That's 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 a totally that's like a terrorist red flag. What, what is the origin of that money? And everybody who even deposits more than ten thousand dollars in cash at once is flagged. You have to fill out a special form at the bank if you if you do that. And they look at the transactions and they want to know the origin of that money. So you know, I guess Hunter was in a bit of a bind because he kept getting large amounts of money from really suspicious looking places not from like their employer, the way that people get paid from their employer. If you want to know where my money's coming from, you could see where it is. That's who's paying me um, on my bank electronically. Just most people, every, you know, it, it all kind of works out. Ele- there's an electronic trail. But then you just go back LLC after LLC after LLC. Just And, and again, it, you can't like get a chunk of money from China. That's a red flag. So then they, they launder it through various places. Um, Look, I'm sure everybody's watched Breaking Bad. You know, Walt White bought the car wash because that's a cash business. So he doesn't have to say I got it from dealing blue meth in New Mexico. I mean, there's you know, that there's commonly known things that indicate there's money laundering going on. Because, again, that's a super red flag. If China just writes you a check and it's signed by Chairman G and it's like $10 million plus a diamond that we're giving you or whatever else Hunter got. So he got and and at the end of it, he just, you know, basically that's our fine with it it's fine you know now we're now we can now we're going to be told it's old news whenever they whatever further stuff gets done on this issue whatever congressional hearings happen whenever somebody's writes a story about it that democrats are going to go look it's old news you know he's made his peace or he's paid his price or whatever the fuck they're going to say usually that, that that now they've crossed that off the list it's a bit of a joke Yes, well, that um, Jim, Jim Comer, chairman of the House Oversight Committee, said that this is not going to d- deter their ongoing investigation into the Biden crime family, and they are going to um, continue to look at, you know, apparently the $10 million bribe, $5 million for the big guy, $5 million for Hunter Biden, that the owner of Burisma um, sent to both of them. And apparently there are recordings. I know we talked about this last week. There are recordings apparently, um, of, uh, the Burisma exec and with Hunter Biden and apparently with Joe Biden. And if that's true, wow. I think it's true. Um, they know the, 
look, these, there's no good actors in this scene. So the Ukrainian oligarchs are not virtuous. I mean, these are all shady people doing really shifty stuff. So they're not dumb. They know when they're bribing, you know, a, a high level U.S. official and his family, they need to have an insurance policy. So I'm, I'm almost certain there are phone recordings. Why, why, who, who wouldn't do that? Lesser people do it, you know, <laughs> to make to cover themselves. So I'm sure there are. Now, the question is, will we ever get those? And I don't think we ever will because we have no means to get them. Like, do we think the DOJ is going to start sending people or the, tell the FBI, hey, fly over to uh, uh, Kiev, Kiev and uh, start looking for the guy that has the recordings? No, it's not going to happen. Right. So, right. So just, it's gross, but it is what it is. Yes. So, well, we finished up our hour. That was quick, but we packed a lot in there. A lot of good just, stuff, Liz, that you just, shared with our listener. You, have you been following the submarine thing? I'm only following it because my daughter is obsessed with it and she is keeping me updated. But her latest take is that this is a cover up story because people are finding aliens in their backyard. You know, I wouldn't be so hard to dismiss that at this at this point in how things are going. I'm just kind of following it. I wasn't super into it, but then I started getting into it. And also because now everybody on Twitter is a submarine expert. I don't know if well, you always, always, you know, people go through. But it's not a submarine, right? It, what's it called? A submersible? It's a submersible. It's a submersible. Submersible. Okay. It's just like it. it did you see how small it is? It's absolutely bananas. Like it's like a can of tuna fish or something. It's like who that thought this was a good idea, Liz? Who's thinking? Oh, this is great. I think I'm going to go in this and go two miles you know <laughs> to the floor of the ocean. This is a great idea. Because you notice there weren't any women. No woman was like, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to go do that. <laughs> no woman would do that. They're not. I mean, we do have a bit of practical common sense on that front. We're, you know, risk averse. But it's also, it sounds like a stupid idea, especially one good thing about it is I had, I don't know a lot about the ocean. I, I, that's just not my thing. I know lots of things about other, I know lots of information about other random things, but the ocean, I don't know so much. So I'm just watching all these documentaries about how deep the ocean is and the creatures that start living in the ocean at certain levels. This is like a horror show. They're, these are just crazy creatures that live at this level. These crazy squids and alien looking things with like weird teeth and it's totally darkness. And geez, good God, that, the ocean terrifies me. I mean, I love to swim in yes. pools. I love to swim, but I have a very limited interest in getting too far. Like people scuba dive. No, thank you. No, thank you. I, I do like to snorkel, but scuba diving is too much. No, thank you. Um, it's creepy. So I don't think I don't think those people are alive anymore. I think the whole thing is weird. I don't understand the obsession with the Titanic. Um, I mean, I think we're past the place where we we know a lot about the Titanic now and I'm good. You know what I mean? I'm good with it. I don't want to go down and see it. Um, I don't know right. about you, Julie. Just no, it's, it's interesting fascinating story didn't see the yeah. movie we'll never see the movie because it's not my jam but still I think we're good and we can move forward um but I don't know I, I don't know what happened to that thing I, I know it was controlled by a game boy or something which really 
I don't, I mean, this isn't, this is literally like a can of tuna fish is the in structural integrity of this thing. And it's controlled by a device you can get off Amazon that took control a game on a TV. So you want to think that these really, really rich ultra billionaires are, are smart and savvy, but not so much. So anyway, God bless their families. Cause this is always sucks. I don't wish harm on anybody. It's always terrible, but this no, is this is, this is horrible. And, um, well, I guess I know that the Navy is, um, uh, you know, the military is trying with the rescue efforts. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but won't, won't be a happy ending. Unfortunately, won't be a good ending. Maybe aliens so. took them. I think your daughter's on. She's smart. I've met her. She's a smart girl. She might be on something. <laughs> <laughs> the aliens have them. Well, or whatever whatever TikTok says is basically what's happening. So you know, I'm not gonna lie. I've been I've been following this on TikTok, and that's what's informed so much of my okay. belief. But when you said the aliens, I'm like, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> okay, well, that's where that's her biggest news source. So there we go. <laughs> so anyway, thank you so much for listening to this weekend happy hour. If you haven't subscribed. Go to iTunes, subscribe, give us five stars. We do have five stars. Um, Julia, we're going to be here next week. We will not, Liz, because my daughter and I are taking a girl's trip to Charleston, South Carolina, where I've never been. We've never been. Um, So if anyone has, I've heard it's, I know it's a great restaurant town. We have one or two reservations, but if anyone has um, really can't miss restaurant recommendation, please um, tag us here on our podcast on Twitter and let me know what we need, where we need to go. All right. Well, I will miss you, but then we will be back in two weeks. So we will be here until then sit tight, not to worry. We will be back. (laughs) So have a great two weeks and we'll see you then. Thanks for listening to happy hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week.